Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. A word of prayer. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Uh, Living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. May our hearts and minds be open and attentive to what uh, you want to say to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, Fifty years ago, I uh, I was very excited. I have been excited since, but 50 years ago, I was, uh, I was very excited, and I was very excited because I was about to go off to boarding school, and uh, I was very excited about the prospect of going to boarding school. I was eight years old, and uh, if I had known what boarding school was going to be like, I would have been less excited, uh, but I didn't, so I was very excited because I had a, a crispy new school uniform, I had grey flannel shorts and, uh, you know, everything was brand spanking new and I had a new pencil case and pencils and rulers and new shoes and I was very, very excited about going off to boarding school and um, it was in the days before uh, the sort of modern ways of entertaining children and young people. There were no electronic devices and no computer games and all of that. So on a Saturday evening particularly, uh, they had to find ways of trying to keep us out of getting up to mischief um, I have to say, in my own case, not very effectively, and uh, I did get up to a lot of mischief at boarding school, but that's for another day. And, uh, but Saturday evenings, how do you keep young people out of mischief and stop them running right? And uh, one of the ways they did that was to get um, the guest lecturers to come in and give us very exciting lectures about all sorts of things. Uh, the only one of which I can remember was by a famous mountaineer. Uh, who's so famous that I can never remember who he was. But I just remember he was very famous, and uh, we were kind of all in awe of him. And I remember it because he told this wonderful story, and, and this is the point, is that the story that I remember, uh, which I have told before, so forgive me if, if you're familiar with this story, but it, it illustrates where Jesus is getting to at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that fundamentally there's a choice to be made. And uh, so this mountaineer, he told this story of an occasion where he was climbing a mountain with a friend of his, and there were just the two of them, and it came to a point where they were climbing a, a sheer cliff face, just the two, one of those cliff faces where there were just tiny little finger holds and, and toe holds, and, uh, 
And if you lose your grip and if you fall, you're in, you're in big trouble. And they climbed quite a long way up this uh, face of this mountain and they found this little rocky outcrop just big enough for the two of them to sit on uh, to rest. So they sat on, the, uh, on this little rocky outcrop and they had some, had a, I think they were British, so they had a cup of tea and uh, had, a little, you know, had some food. And then they set off climbing up the cliff face. And the guy who was telling the story, he stood on the rock while his friend started the next part of the ascent. And as I say, it's completely sheer cliff face. And he watched his friend climb up, up, up about 20 or 30 metres. And then he watched as his friend lost his grip, lost his footing and started to plunge back down the mountain. So he's up there about 30 metres up. And as he's standing on the rock looking up, he realises a number of things very quickly, in the few split seconds that he has to kind of process all of this information. First thing he realises is that his friend is not going to land back on this little rock. It's too small. He's going to miss it. So his friend is going to plunge down the mountain to his death. Second thing he realises is he is tied to his friend with a rope. So wherever he goes, wherever his friend goes, he's going as well. So not only is his friend going to die, he's going to die as well. Unless he can think of something to do. He doesn't have time to untie the rope and just <laughs> let his friend plunge down the mountain and die. Uh, so he, he was pro- And he realises the only thing that he can do that might save both their lives is to guess which side of this little rocky outcrop his friend is going to fall and jump off the other side uh, into thin air. In the hope that... The rope that is tied between them will catch over the top of this little rocky outcrop and break both their falls and they'll swing in underneath it. And as he's standing there looking up, he realises, if I do nothing, I'm going to die. If I make the wrong choice and jump the wrong way, I'm going to die. But there is a choice that I think, if I take it, it will save my life. It will lead to life. It wasn't a blind leap of faith. It was a leap of faith based on the available information that he had, which there's a rope, there's a rock, this could work. And uh, by virtue of the fact that he was there giving the lecture, uh, you can guess he he maybe got it right. (laughs) He jumped off into thin air and what he hoped would happen did happen in that the rope caught over this rocky outcrop and they both swung in underneath and were then able to climb back up and and start again. But it was that situation where to do nothing or to make the wrong choice would lead to death, but there was a choice that could lead to life. And that's where Jesus has got to, getting to at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I think when we started a few weeks ago, uh, uh, Rob, you did the first one. Yes, yes, it's so long ago. Well, it's not that long ago, I just have a short memory. So when Rob started, I remember him saying that this is, it's the greatest sermon in the world. You know, even people who aren't Christians would look at Jesus' teaching and say, this is really wonderful teaching. This is, this is just fabulous. If, if, we, if only we could all live by this, how much better the world would be. Well, I wonder if, if uh, those people sort of lost concentration by, got to, by the time they got to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus starts to wrap it up by giving some very serious warnings. And they're very stark warnings. And they're essentially about the fact that if you want life, you've got to choose it. If you want life, you've got, and this is an old, old story. This is not something uh, new. Moses in the Old Testament, as, no, as Moses is drawing to the end of 
his ministry in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, Moses says this, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. So all of God's revelation, all of the law, the Ten Commandments, he says this, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. He says, I'm setting before you life and death. Which are you going to choose? Joshua does the same at the end of his ministry when he's closing out. He says, you've got to decide who you're going to serve. Joshua 24, 15. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You've got to choose life or death. And that's where Jesus has got to in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus, the Son of God, speaking. And he's telling his hearers then, and he's telling us now, there is There's a broad path that leads to destruction. There's a broad path that leads to hell. There's a narrow path that leads to life, that leads to an eternal destiny with God. Make sure you're on the right path. It's very stark, isn't it? It's very simple. He's saying, look, there's there's a broad path and there are a lot of people on it. And the thing about the broad path is it's very attractive, It's much easier to travel on a broad path than than a narrow one because if you're on a broad path and you're with a bunch of other people and you're all heading in the same direction, that's really, it's kind of easy and it's encouraging. Who wants to be going against the, you know, against the flow or against the the tide? I I don't remember that um, that, uh, famous scene in the film... Um, planes, trains and automobiles. You ever watch Planes, Trains and Automobiles with John Candy? It's a very famous scene where um, John Candy and, and his, they're in a car, but basically they make a mistake and they end up driving the wrong way down a freeway in America. And they, and they kind of think, and then suddenly there are two articulated lorries coming towards them and they realise that they're, they're kind of going against the flow. And, um, and they end up basically being squeezed between these two articulated lorries. But it's that moment of horror when they realize they're going the wrong way and they wish they were going they wish they were going with everybody else you know that's that's the broad path and it's um it's much more comfortable to go with the flow it's much more comfortable to go with the tide you've got lots of people traveling with you there's the reassurance of well i'm going the right way because everyone's everyone's going to it. it's much harder to go against the flow but jesus says if you want life it's a narrow gate it's a narrow path and it's a small gate. It's much harder to find. It's much harder to go through. It's going to take you more effort. It's going to be more costly. Just to be clear what the gate is, Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep. 
All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So the narrow gate, and there are not many people on it. What are the statistics these days for the number of practicing Christians in the UK at the moment? I think somewhere between 3 and 5% of the population are followers of Jesus. So 95, 97% of everyone who lives around us, they're kind of, they're on the broad path. And it's an easy path to travel. But it leads to hell. Leads to an eternity without God, that's the stark reality. We don't, um, we don't preach enough about the reality of a lost eternity. But that's the reality Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you know, I've taught you all of these things, but now take note of these things. Enter through the narrow gate. It's going to be hard. It's going to be costly. But it's the gate that leads to life. What's the broad path? I was thinking, well... There are a lot of broad paths that a lot of people are on that are prevalent in our culture at the moment. Um, three that sort of particularly came to mind that we need to be just aware of. Part of the broad path is, well, there is no God. So do what you want. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. As long as you don't hurt anybody, do what you like because there's no, account, there's no ultimate accountability. That's part of the broad path that a lot of people travel on in our culture is this idea that actually I'm only accountable to myself. There's no ultimate accountability. It's, it's a, a broad path that seems very attractive and it's very attractive to the human heart because the human heart does not want to surrender its autonomy. That's why the narrow gate is hard to find because as human beings we have a heart hardwired not to want to find the narrow gate. Because finding the narrow gate involves surrender, it involves submission, it involves sacrifice, it involves putting someone else on the throne other than myself. So that's why the narrow gate is hard to find, because actually we don't want to find it. We don't want to find it. We like being autonomous, we like being in charge, but it's a broad path that, that leads to destruction. And we're seeing that in our society. Our society is, is crumbling because that's the broad path that so many people are on. Another broad path is, is the idea that, well, pick any path and you'll be all right. Pick any religion and you'll be all right. It doesn't matter which one you pick. We're all heading in the same direction. We're all going to get there. So pick your path. doesn't matter which one. Uh, you'll be all right. Seems very attractive. Seems to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, as long as you believe in something and you're, you know, you're being nice to your neighbour and not kicking the cat too often, you'll be all right. Again, it's a broad path that leads to destruction because, as I've said so many times before, and I'm sure I'll say it many more times before I die, religion doesn't save you. Every religious system works on the basis that work hard enough, do enough, and one day you may get your reward, which I will characterise, for simplicity's sake, as union with the divine. Now, every religious system has a different take on what what that looks like. So I'll just characterise it as union with the right. Because if, you're, if you are a Muslim, then your, your goal is not particularly relationship with Allah in paradise. Your goal is just to be in paradise. A relationship with Allah is not particularly part of your hope and your expectation. Uh, and, and in other religions, they're also... But let me just characterise it as union with the right. How do you get there? Work hard. 
work hard, you might get the reward. What's the gospel? The gospel is God loves you so much. He sent his son to die on the cross so that you can have union with him now. So the thing that every other religious system is working hard to attain, we already have because of Jesus. This union with the divine is ours. When later we come to this table and take bread and wine, why do we do this? We do it to remind us of the cross, of what Jesus did on the cross, that he died so that we don't have to. So we have union with the divine now and we live out of that. But it's a, it's a, broad, it's a broad path the other um, broad path that a lot, of, a lot of people are on is this idea, well, if God is a God of love, everyone's going to go to heaven. Because how could a God of love not want everyone to be in heaven? Very attractive. But it's a false, false gospel because God isn't just loving, he's holy. He's a holy God. And that's the problem. And, and one of the problems for us as a church in our day is that we've lost our fear of God and no wonder the world has lost its fear of God when the church has lost its fear of God which is not that we are scared of God it's just we are aware of who he is and aware of his holiness so there are broad paths that that lead to hell hell being uh not being in relationship with the one who created us. If you think uh, heaven is, it's about our union with the divine made possible through Jesus Christ. Heaven is about having this relationship with the God who created us and who loves us, a relationship that begins the moment we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and simply gets better and better and better. And one day we'll be made complete. That's what we're looking forward to. That's heaven. Hell is the opposite. Imagine a world completely devoid of any kind of love. Imagine how awful that would be. That's hell. And Jesus says, if you, you've got to make a choice. You've got to choose. The gate is, uh, uh, the small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Which is why we must be so, so um, I guess, persistent and intentional in Telling people about the small gate and the narrow path. That's why our hearts are sold out to tell the people of Bolney that there's a God who loves them. That there's a path that God wants them to walk. But the reality is, Jesus says, it's, you know, it's hard to find. And it takes effort to be on it. And you're probably not going to make yourself very popular by walking on this narrow path. But it's the one that leads to life. This is a warning that Jesus gives. Watch out for false prophets. There's no one more dangerous than a false prophet. There's no one more dangerous than a false prophet. Why? Uh, Because a prophet should be speaking the words of God. In the Old Testament, um, false prophets, when they were identified, were stoned to death. That's how serious it uh, it was taken. Uh, If you were found to be a false prophet, uh, you were stoned to death. And the test for whether or not you were not a false prophet was whether what you were prophesying came to pass. Was God truly? And so to be a prophet is is the most privileged, uh, but potentially the most lethal lethal way to live. Because if you get it wrong, you might end up being stoned to death. 
But, um, you know, a prophet, is, when you read in the Old Testament, the great prophets, they spoke the word of God into their society and into their situation. And um, very often they got stoned to death even when they were correct because people didn't like what they were saying. So it was, <laughs> it was a rock and a hard place. But um, watch out for false prophets. They're the most dangerous people in the world because... If they're claiming to speak the words of God and they're not, well, there's nothing more dangerous. Because if someone tells you, well, actually, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to do anything. You will be all right. Uh, because God loves you. And so you don't, actually, you don't need to make any kind of response. He loves you. He's prepared eternity for you. Just eat, drink and be merry. That's a false prophecy. Uh, so how do we test the prophets? And, um, you know, a prophecy is one of the gifts that God has given to his church. So we need to be looking for the prophets in the church and encouraging them in their ministry. I was at, at New Wine a few weeks ago and I had a, a, just a, a meeting with, with, um, uh, with four uh, people with a gift of prophecy. Um, Joel was amongst them, so he couldn't say anything because he knows me too well. It's always very hard to have words of prophecy for someone that you know well because you just. So anyway, but it's real. Is and and it was just it was the most encouraging. It was just the most encouraging time because probably ninety. There are a few things that they shared with me that you just you just kind of tuck them away and you ponder them and you and you weigh them. But there was other stuff that was like, you know, God has said to me many times before. So I kind of feel he was rolling his eyes and going. You go again. I said this like 20 years ago. I'm still saying it because you still need to get here. But it's just really good. But you have to be careful. And, and the way that prophecy was shared is always shared with, well, you know, this is what I think God is saying. I think w- when we share prophetic words with one another, always has to be couched in that kind of way that I think this is what God is saying. Uh, receive it as a gift. Weigh it. Test it. Because uh, it, you know, there's always a thing, well, I might. I might have heard incorrectly but uh, Jesus says look for the fruit in those who are prophesying look for fruit and uh, the most important fruit is character what you see in their character from those who claim to be speaking the words of God do you see the character of God Paul says in Galatians that the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness And self-control in those who are claiming to speak the words of God. Is that the character that you see? I always think there should be be another one, uh, another fruit that I think is really important, which is humility. Which is humility. Who are the prophets pointing to? Are they pointing to themselves or are they pointing to Jesus? Uh, It always worries me when people um, uh, take titles and title themselves uh, apostle or prophet or, or whatever. If, you, if you've got the gift of apostleship, just, just get on and be an apostle. Just get on and be a pioneer. You don't need the title. If, if God has given you the gift of prophecy, you don't need the title. Just use the gift. I always get slightly concerned when uh, people give themselves titles because then you can become puffed up and think it's about, it's about you. Are, the, are those who are prophesying the words of God, are they, uh, are they, is there a humility about them, and perhaps fundamentally, given what Jesus has just said, are they pointing people to the small gate and the narrow road? 
ultimately, if someone is speaking the words of God, they will ultimately they will point people to Jesus. They'll point people to the cross. They'll point people to the fact that actually you need to surrender to Jesus. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to have that conviction of sin where you, you realise in one moment that you are utterly lost. Because you are sinful. Because you have fallen short of God's glory. And there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. There is no amount of good works or good things that you've done that make any impression on the weight of sin that you carry because of your disobedience. And you have that moment immediately followed by coming to Christ and realising that all of that was dealt with on the cross. And it's all gone. And it's this, this moment of utter despair at seeing your depravity and then this moment of wonder and freedom as you see the cross. That's what's so beautiful about it and and when you when you take that away there's there's no gospel at all that's the wonder of the gospel that in that moment you go from despair to everlasting hope and anyone who claims to be a prophet ultimately all that they do should lead to the cross and lead to Jesus and lead to surrender because this last little bit verse 21 this, I mean, this is so stark, isn't it? This is so frightening. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? You know, these are people who outwardly are using the gifts, outwardly seem to be walking, you know, walking the walk. And Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What is, what is going on? How can, how can this be possible that you can, you know, to all the world, it can look like you're doing the things of the gospel, that you're exercising the gifts you know, prophesy, driving out demons, performing miracles, and yet the Lord says, I never knew you. I think it, it kind of takes us back to where we started, that fundamentally there's a choice that we have to make that leads to life. And it is a, it's a choice that is about complete surrender. It's about complete submission and complete sacrifice it's about not having a faith that is it's just an add-on to the life that we were living anyway it's about a complete reset Uh, Paul says in Galatians uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 20 he says "Um, I have been crucified with Christ I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I think that's that's at the heart of what Jesus is is getting at and what he's he's encouraging his followers to to understand. Is this is not just about living a a good life. This is not just about enjoying the, the lovely fruit of the kingdom. It's not just about living a it's about sacrifice. It's about being crucified. 
with Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified. When we get to, um, uh, to Romans, uh, our, our study in Romans, um, uh, Paul begins the letter to Romans by telling people he's a slave. That's how he introduces himself, as a slave of Jesus Christ. And when we, when we start the series, you'll understand why that was so shocking. You know, we read it, we're like, Bleh. When he wrote the letter, when people in Rome read it, they were like, what? Bit of excitement, a bit of anticipation for the next sermon series. But it's the thing he says, that's his identity. He says, I'm a slave. I'm a slave now. That's how I live my life. And I think that's what Jesus is looking for in us. Uh, Only whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Is that our heart's desire? To surrender our will to his will. Each and every day. To say, Jesus, I'm yours. You paid the price. You died on the cross so that I might live. How must I now live? So, Jesus is starting to wrap up this wonderful teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most beautiful teaching that's ever been given. These are the words of God. Jesus is a prophet who speaks the words of God that are life-changing. But then he draws to a close, begins to draw to a close by with these warnings. He says, pay attention. Don't forget these things. Uh, the gate to life is narrow, which therefore makes it quite tricky to find, hard to find, hard to get through. Uh, you know, big gate, it's easy to get through. Small gate, you've got to, it's a struggle. Following Jesus is a struggle. We're in the minority. We're not, we don't have huge crowds of people around us. Watch out for false prophets. Test the teaching. Are those who are teaching pointing to Jesus? Is, there, is the fruit of the Spirit characterised in the way that they live? And make sure that it's with complete humility and surrender that you, that you come, that actually you have given up your life. Elsewhere, Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Uh, but whoever surrenders their life to me will find it. Uh, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what we're, we're all about. Let's pray for a moment and then we're going to come to come to this table, this table that reminds us of Jesus's sacrifice. And as we come to this table, it's with that heart of surrender. It's recognising that that Jesus died in order that we might have life. 